What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Cardamom Pod from Kajal Magazine. We're recording with Listening Party inside Canal Street Radio. I'm Nadia Agrawal. I'm the editor-in-chief and founder of Kajal Magazine. And I'm Anushka Patil. I'm a news curation editor at BuzzFeed News. We made the Cardamom Pod to talk about news, culture, and internet from a brown perspective. Today on the show, we are talking representation, why it matters and why it's not enough. Um, but yeah, I think like before we get into it, we should really just like catch up. It's been a minute since I've seen you. Yeah. We've been doing a lot of planning online for this and, and stuff, but now that we're here in person, I just want to like this check in wild. with you. It's yeah. like we're no longer in text and Google Docs. We're like <laughs> in person. We're sitting in a studio. It's amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. But I, I wanted to like definitely check in and see like how you're doing. How was your weekend? Oh, man. Um, should we start with the good stuff? The weekend was great. Uh, <laughs> so, like, so ominous. I just think, well, I think every week we're probably going to be like, God, this week. Um, or maybe that's just me. Um, yeah, working in news, it probably feels like God this week, every week. It is. Okay, I guess what's been on my mind this week, like, blackface, because I think this whole country, <laughs> like, I don't know how any of it, like, Blackface has been everywhere for the past couple of days. I cannot believe we're saying this in, like, 2019, but I guess we all have to say this every year. Um, Virginia state politics has been on my mind because that whole uh, state capital is a dumpster fire right now. <laughs> well, also, like, Gucci, Katy Perry. So, like, even in fashion, blackface is, like, having a weird moment. Yeah. A mess. All around it's, a mess. It's really bad. Um, what? Okay. The good things, right? Um <laughs> I watched Ekladki uh, Kodeka this weekend, uh, or like this week, um, which, if you don't know, is this new Bollywood movie. It's Sonam Kapoor um, and a bunch of incredibly like talented other folks, um, and it's like a Bollywood lesbian movie. I feel like I'm giving away the plot, but this is like an important thing but to know. That is why I went to go watch the movie. I wanted to see <laughs> Bollywood lesbians. Um, Bollywood lesbians in space. <laughs> yeah, that's it has the such next a like step. tropey genre feel to it, right? Yeah, like, Bollywood lesbians. But I also like from what I've heard, like that's really the whole movie. It's just, it's a Bollywood movie. It's kind of about lesbians. It's more about men saying that it's okay to be a lesbian. I, you know, I thought it was. We could like devote a whole um, episode to talking about this movie. Um, but I thought it was really beautiful, um, and. Yeah, so much more to say, but I'll, I'll let you, I'll let us move on. Um, tell me about your weekend. How have you been? Yeah, um, I've been good. Um, I'm starting a new job next week, which exciting. is, yeah, it's like equal parts exciting and like nerve wracking because I'm really, really like, it's very clear to me that my schedule is like in a shambles. Like I'm not really good with like regimens right now. Um, so I'm like trying to get that together, like my writing schedule, my like you know, health scabs, like, you know, working out and eating healthy, taking my vitamins, all yeah. that stuff. I'm just trying Being to get an down. Adult. Yeah. I kind of, you know, I hate that phrase adulting. Yeah. Like it just, it sounds like, <laughs> sounds horrible, but it, it kind of feels like that in a lot of ways. It's just like, just doing the, like the basics to keep myself going. Yeah. I mean, it's learning how to be a person and like, that's hard because no one really tells you how to do it. Right. Right. <laughs> Maybe like if we had home ec in school, we would have gotten like a primer and how to do that, but <laughs> definitely like self-taught. Um, but yeah, so th I, this weekend I went to the Guggenheim. I saw the Hilma of Klimt exhibit, which is uh, beautiful. It's yeah. all about like spiritualism and like, um, kind of like reaching other worlds through art or like making a kind of connection through that. So it's kind of like spooky a little bit, but really beautiful and like really colorful. And I really enjoyed that. I had a good time with my friend, um, seeing that exhibit. Um, but also like, it's been so cold in New York recently that like leaving the house has been like 
horrible. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like it hurts to go outside, like yeah. physically hurts. It's bad out there. Yeah. So, but I'm also really tired of like being indoors. I've been indoors the past like two months. So this weekend was really about me like venturing outside. Yeah. You. I mean, you are getting outside. You're getting paid, and you're looking at art. Like, what an amazing. But, right. That's yeah. true. That's true. That's a good way of looking at it. But yeah, it was a it was a good weekend, I'd say. Yeah. Okay. So, I guess we have we should just get right into it. Um. Why representation? Like, this feels like we've joked about this so much. It's such a corny topic to start with. Well, I think it's only corny because it's been, like, beaten to death. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's everyone has an opinion about it, and that opinion is representation is good, and that we should always be striving towards putting more brown people, more brown faces in white places, and all of that stuff. And sometimes we're really bad at talking about representation because oftentimes we frame it in this sort of black-white dichotomy of like, well, there's a lot of black people and stuff, so maybe there should be more brown people. And like, oh that's God, yeah. So there's like a lot of like angles to this subject that I feel like haven't been fully explored. But at the same time, it feels like I'm done with this topic. <laughs> like I think yeah. collectively in some ways yeah. we're done with this topic. I think whenever you have like any sort of marginalized group speaking on anything, there's this kind of... What I guess feels to me a little bit like it's like the equivalent of like, like, yes, you go, queen, like right. feminism. It's just like, oh, w we want to put brown people everywhere. It doesn't matter what they're doing or what their politics are. Like, right, it's we want to see them. And like, I think that's why there's this, this burnout of like, I don't I don't want to talk about representation. It's <laughs> you know? so neoliberal, too. It's like that whole joke about like, yes, more feminist, like more women prison guards. It's like kind of reductive and it doesn't actually get at the heart of the subject that we're trying to figure out, like, which is. Like, the reason why we want more brown people in, like, you know, in politics and film and media and all of those things is because they can broaden the conversation around our community, that they can, like, add nuance where there didn't exist nuance before. Yeah. But what it ends up being is, like, we're just so happy when there's, like, anybody who looks vaguely like us in something. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter if they're, like, you know, a trash human being with terrible politics as long as, like, they exist. And, like, that's, that's often the... That's, I think, the conflict that we come into when we talk about representation. Yeah. I mean, and taking a step back, I feel like it really made sense for us to start this week talking about representation because the diaspora has been, like, fucking on one this week. Just, <laughs> just so messy all around. We're always a little messy, but this week was bad. So, Nadia, I feel like you're a great person to, like, explain this week to me as if I was off Instagram and Twitter and everything else. Oh my gosh. I just feel like it's been a lot. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it's like one thing or the other. It's like a lot of things happened all at the same time. Like a couple of weeks ago, there was this whole thing. And I, I kind of, I always like don't really want to mention them because I don't want to, seem like, you know, it's God Girl Magazine versus Brown Girl Magazine or anything like that. But Brown Girl Magazine kind of ran into some trouble on Instagram when they posted a video of them in Dubai talking about how Dubai is a great location to vacation or to stop off in before you get to India. But of course, like Dubai and like the United Arab Emirates are really based on slave labor. Like they, like their economy is built up on slave labor. The infrastructure is built up on slave labor coming from South Asia specifically um, and like other countries as well. Like they have like a whole underclass of like African indentured servants and things like that. So like, it's just like not a good look, I think to be like, yo, Dubai is like the place to be because it's not like it, it it's built on so much misery. Um, and you know, when there was people in the comments saying like, Hey, this isn't cool. Like maybe you should look into this more. Or did you actually just like ignore 
the actual policies of the situation to do this post, they kind of came back with like, hey, we discussed it internally. We thought it was the right move. Like, we're totally aware of this is the situation, but you know, like, that's not really how we feel. And then we also talked to people who live there. And it kind of felt like, everyone was like talking at each other about this thing when like literally what it was is just sort of like a lack of sensitivity but at the same time it was like oh like we're out here we're doing these things we're like you know brown people you know living to excess enjoying their lives and in some ways like i feel like that connects to representation it's like um i don't know that's like one aspect of it and yeah. i think that really flowed into the whole bubu controversy on instagram oh boy <laughs> yes so, Bubu the Painter, if um, y'all are not familiar, um, which if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you are, um, but she is a fashion designer. I don't know. She's like a artist come yeah, denim artist, jacket painter, artist come designer, model come makeup artist, I don't know, yeah, a um, lot of things. And she, you might have seen her Bakwas line, which is, um, you know, she has these sort of really, like, Instagram famous um, denim jackets that she's painted with sort of like Hindu slash South Asian like kind of like truck arty style yeah Bollywood um, and uh, how do we say this she posted some stuff on Instagram that basically um, she posted photos of herself um, you know styled it was a photo shoot um, and she's kind of in this like power stance and behind her are a lot of um, dark-skinned, low-income um, people, presumably from India. I think that's um, it was shot in Mumbai. Yeah, it was like a fish market. Yeah, um, and not not only that. Like, so not only was there this kind of like uh, dichotomy of like her being fair-skinned in front of like these kind of darker-skinned, at least it was perceived as such, darker-skinned, you know, fish market vendors but also that she had captioned all of her pictures with lyrics from King Kunta by Kendrick Lamar. So it was this like appropriative, like taking a song about, you know, the black experience about blackness and then putting it on top of her sort of like Instagram fashion model pictures. Yeah, there was some stuff that was said about how she doesn't see cast and she doesn't see color. Oh, no, no, wait, I feel like we got to back up. So she posted this thing. Right. And then she got a lot of comments about it. And instead of sort of, like, responding constructively to those comments, being like, hey, like, maybe you shouldn't, you know, create these false dichotomies, maybe you shouldn't be castist, maybe you shouldn't be colorist, maybe you shouldn't be all these things, she posted again talking about how she doesn't see cast, she doesn't see color, but she's like, I am light-skinned, but I was also, like, I was too light-skinned for brown people. So it was, like, a very weird, like, okay, you do see color, you do see cast, but you don't want to, like, acknowledge, acknowledge that, like, like, it's an issue in some parts of the world, like... In all parts of the world, yeah. like it was, um, it was kind of messy. Like it was just, yeah, mishandled. I think we can sort of unequivocally say it was messy. Um, I think what was really hard about the 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 Babu thing is like, it was such a, um, you know, it's hard because you, like you said earlier, there's so it feels like there's so few of us out there doing like creative things, and so there's this real like like you're like sense of like we must support everyone no matter what and like we have to all stick together and stick up for our people but like if our people are doing some like nonsense like we you know we should talk about it and people do right people did sort of um let her know what was wrong and let her know sort of situations and um parts let her know like what she should be educating herself about yeah people were really constructive i think 
in the comments. They weren't just like blasting her left, right, and center. And the the response to it is what's so difficult. It's to me, it's really just like, listen, it is 2019. We have all seen these outrage cycles happen. We have all seen people getting called out. Like, how do y'all not know at this point how to just take criticism and like? My favorite comment, though, my favorite comment was someone saying that, hey, this is, like, colorist of you to, like, create this, like, you know, you being fair-skinned in front of darker-skinned workers. Someone said that, well, she was, she grew up in Canada where there isn't as much sun. That's why she's (laughs) light-skinned. And she responded with, like, yes, thank you. And it was, like, that's not how that works, though. That's not how melanin works. (laughs) (laughs) It was just, like, it was, like, willingly obtuse it was like willfully ignorant like it was i don't want to engage with this and i think that's the issue it's if you don't want to engage with something like if you make a mistake and you're willing to learn like we have room for you like we have room for you on this boat but like i mean yeah i don't know i'm i'm aware that like call it culture cancel culture is really difficult but at the same time i kind of feel like sometimes you got to cut the fat you know like there's maybe there isn't room for all of us maybe we should just like you know get rid of the weak links <laughs> i mean i i do feel strongly that we have to hold space for people because you know people are all sort of on different sort of steps of their journey and in, in figuring this out i know that is so corny i hate like myself LA right now. please can i like LA everyone is on their own journey. i know i this is like some eat pray love shit but like w- we're all gonna fuck up like the two of right. us have fucked up and are going to fuck up we're and, probably gonna get comments on everything in this episode totally and it's like a, those comments some of them are, are definitely going to be well deserved and it's just a matter of like being being willing to learn I think and apologize and sort of recognize when you are doing harm um, and obviously that's harder than um, it sounds it's easier said than done but also like if you are doing harm to a group of people you will hear about it on the internet so you know there's no excuse to like not know about it I think there's something to be said also just for like the setup of these of these of both of these cases of like kind of going and like gawking in some ways like, going to the motherland, going to Dubai, and, like, sort of gawking at the life there and being, like, I can use this for my purposes Yeah. in some ways. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's, like, that there's something so diaspora about that. There's something mm-hmm. so intrinsic to our experience being, you know, living in the West, growing up in the West, where, like, there's such an, an urge to, like, go and yes. take pictures and to, like, consume and commodify because, like, we come from a capitalistic society and like that's how we understand things it's like can i pay for it can i buy it can i eat it can i consume it can i shit it out like that's kind of like <laughs> how we that's how we experience things you know and like there's something so like also very steve mccurry about it like so orientalizing exotifying like yeah we almost keep it separate from ourselves i don't know i have a lot of feelings this about is, it yeah it's so much like it's really like corny diaspora shit and like really specifically like NRIs sometimes I feel like are the worst offenders of this where like it I, I don't think it's all sort of um ill-intentioned I, I do think that for like all of us have been there right all of us have taken a trip back with our family and like felt that like really like intense yearning you know and it's just like and especially if you're sort of aware of these like sort of um exotifying narratives like you 
there's a lot of dissonance of like I feel deeply connected to this place and these people and this food and this environment but also like I live in California where it's like 60 degrees all the time with like white people all around me like and you know like we both grew up in the Bay Area like there's such a, a a dissonance there of like really wanting something that feels like it's part of you but then also having to step back and be like you know what the experiences of people here the experiences of like my my cousins living in India or um wherever it is that you're visiting are not yours and it's hard to sort of find a balance like literally like we're like two you know Hindu cis brown woman here sitting on the cardamom podcast like it's corny and like we can (laughs) laugh at it and like that's okay you know like that was like that was intentional I'll say that like for our audience listening we knew what we were doing (laughs) we knew we were like buying into the whole like chai industrial complex with this chai industrial complex we knew that but like no you're right like there there's something about I think like for so long refusing those pigeonholes and then embracing them and you kind of embrace them with gusto Mm -hmm. and I think that happens with like any identity that you come into like for so long we all like maybe a lot of us refuse to like wear dresses or wear pink and then you kind of reach a level where you're like nah this is good this is okay like I can do this and you wear like hella girly stuff like (laughs) it's just kind of this need to like fill in these holes that you've been avoiding for so long and um I get that I think though it kind of just it it does need to stop when it comes to dehumanizing others or speaking over other people's experiences or co-opting experiences that don't belong to you like when you're doing damage like you gotta stop and like you have to own up to it because like sometimes damage is just beyond your own understanding and it's okay like you don't have to understand how everyone feels all the time but if someone tells you that this hurts, you got to, like, take a step back and be like, okay, what did I do wrong? Yeah. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about, like, how to, how to chill as the diaspora. Um, take ourselves less seriously and, like, and, and focus on what you were saying, which is, like, doing less harm and, and uplifting voices that we actually care about and voices that matter. We're back. <laughs> okay, so we talked a lot. We talked about a lot of stuff. But I think what's really important, there's so, much, okay, there's so many things to talk about with representation. Let's talk about what it means to be the first of something because I feel like that's a good place to start Yeah. in terms of like unpacking what this means. That Yeah, and being the first to do something is like what we talk about the most when people are like having representation conversations and it's award season um, and that comes up all the time I feel like right right like, somehow, we just saw it with Sandra Oh right so somehow we still have these headlines that are like so-and-so is the first person of XYZ des- descent to like do or win XYZ and like that's important and that's cool and that's great but also like it's kind of icky right one those headlines are super depressing and two being the first or like claiming to be like the original person to do something is like such a weird place to be in because then it's like suddenly an entire like like culture and the culture is diaspora and like multiple generations like it feels like all of us are just like oh my god this one person you know and like I don't know people are human like we can't do everything well it's also intrinsically a catch-22 because what if you're not the first what if like you just forgot like this one person from the 90s or the 70s or the 60s who did that thing before you and now like you're dismissing the shoulders that you're stepping on to get to where you are like we're all on the shoulders of giants right this is just like a fact-checking like news thing like 
I have an editor that is just like drilled into us that anytime you say someone is the first to do anything, like break any record, whatever, you're getting into hot water because there's always there's always going to be something that you've missed, you know. Right. And like history is not some sort of like clean, precise, scientific, quote unquote, linear, science is like, like yeah, a fallacy. Um, there's there's always. Did you say science is a fallacy? Yeah, I don't know what I'm saying. Um, I mean, I do. I feel <laughs> that strongly, actually. But um, there's always going to be people that have been erased. Mm-hmm. Um, who have been doing the work. You mostly know. women, mostly people who are not cis, mostly people who are LGBTQ. Yeah. Like, yeah. always. Color. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Um, I think, like, it's it's hard. It's, it's hard. I have a lot of mixed feelings about this, and I think you feel maybe a little differently or strongly about this, um, stronger about this than I do, but for me, it's it's always a mixed bag because I'm still, like, happy and I'm still, like, emotional, like, watching those award show speeches, and it's also, like... Would I like us all to be removed from this narrative? Sure, absolutely. I just, I, maybe I'm just, like, so numb now to these, like, you know, pleading for, like, emotional connection that these celebrities make when they're, like, my immigrant parents did this, this, and this. Like, yeah, all of our immigrant parents did that thing. Like, or, you know, my immigrant grandparents or whatever. Like, it doesn't really feel, like, fresh to me. And that's also because I'm, like, I live, like, in an oversaturatedly, like, brown diaspora worlds obviously mm-hmm. like running cajoles so like i'm very used to all of those things they no longer stand out to me yeah but i think like the issue with all of these labels of like the first person person of this to set to do this is that it, it usually comes with so many other caveats like it's never like oh the first you know the first asian person to th- it's like the first south asian or the first like you know muslim american south asian person it's always the first like south asian woman of, like, this, you know, experience or this background, like, it just becomes, like, so specific and niche that after a while, I feel like it kind of, like, loses its power mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Like, I'm glad that we're hitting a lot of firsts, I guess. Like, it's 2019. That should have been done years ago. Yeah. But, like, at the same time, I just no longer feel connected to those labels because it's, like, oh, now it's just, like, headline fodder. Now it's just, like, tags on someone's yeah. website. I think maybe part of it is is um, we all want more. Right, and I think we've always wanted more, and it's it's lovely and amazing and inspirational. Obviously, it means a lot to like, I think, especially young kids to see stuff like this. But also, I think like at least for me, like as I've gotten older, I've just been like, that's great. I will still cry about it, but also like I want more. Like I want <laughs> doors to be opened. I want other people to be brought up into this space. Mm-hmm. Like I want other people to be uplifted, um, and like that's hard to do if you have built your identity around being like the only person to do this or like the only voice in a specific space i think that's also where like a lot of the the offense comes from when somebody like that messes up like i think when you feel so invested with a sense of like this power representation or you know when you pin your hopes and just like to like some you know instagram user or whatever some instagram model that they do all these things correctly not only are you like expecting them to somehow be superhuman and to like be divine and never make mistakes ever but like you're also, like, like when they mess up, they probably feel a lot more urgency to, like, double down because now, like, they're so close to, like, losing that power that they had or it feels like that maybe. Like, maybe there's, like, a kind of dual-edged sword there. Yeah, I don't even know if, like, the doubling down is, like, intentional. I mean, obviously, sometimes it is, but I think it's such, like, it, it's a lot of people's, like, first instinct you know when they're being called out like I think this happens in with like celebrities and and sort of people in in, um, with uh, public profiles but also just like 
in a conversation with friends or your partner or whoever, like if someone calls you out or like pushes back against something you've said, I think it's quite natural for people to be like, to get defensive and be right. like, like that wasn't even like what I was saying. Or That's like, like white people when you call them racist, they're like, I'm not a racist. They don't white ask like, hate being called racist. it's like they're like, they think it's a slur, but it's Why like, no, it? it's like an adjective. Um, but like yeah. they, they are so much more offended at being called racist and that then the possibility that they did something that would hurt somebody else. They're yeah. not like, oh, how was that racist? Like, let me learn from that. I never wanted that again. I never want to make somebody feel that way again. Yeah. No, they're like, I'm not racist. You got it wrong. And it's like, this is not constructive. This isn't helpful. Like when you double down the like that. The thing to know is like, if you were saying the words, I'm not a racist, like you have probably done some seriously fucked up racist shit. Right. And you should, like, Google. Just Google how to, like, do a good apology. How to apologize in a way that... But they're not even at the point of apology. I think that's the point. It's, like, when you double down, you're not apologizing. Yeah. You're saying, I'm right, you're wrong. And I think... And also, fuck you. And also, fuck you. And the problem is, it's, like, we don't really live in a world where that works anymore. Like, there's so many experiences that you can no longer feign ignorance to. Yeah. Because people are, are much more vocal now, and they have more access to things that you can also access. Like, you can literally Google personal essays about people's experiences so like you really don't have an excuse to be like oh i didn't think about it that way or like i didn't even take the time to think about it that way yeah that doesn't work anymore yeah. and i think the issue is that like when it comes to like you know these fake apologies or these lack of apologies these doubling down maneuvers is that people feel so instinctually that they need to like replace somebody else's pain with their own they need to feel like like you had trauma or you were hurt, but I was also hurt. I've always been hurt. My whole life I've been traumatized. My whole, I go to, I I don't even, you know, whatever. I I go to therapy. I'm unpacking this or not. Like maybe sometimes they're just like, you know, you know, my whole life I was bullied. Like how dare you like bully me now on Instagram? It's like, there's something about that that's inherently wrong because you're, you're not even listening to that person at that point. You're just like, no, I'm right. I cannot be wrong. But like, if anything, my 27 years have taught me is I'm wrong most of the time. Like, mm-hmm. even when I'm right, sometimes I didn't get it all the way right. Yeah. You know, like, I phrased it wrong or I said something offensive. And, like, we need, we can't afford to not be sensitive to each other anymore. Like, there's yeah. there's too many things riding on just basic human decency. I think those are, like, really valuable um, life lessons that, that are um, hard to learn and, like, should be taught. Like, I think um, I... It's it's really hard. Like, I can probably point to, like, a million and one situations um, sort of not even years ago. Like, this is still happening, right? Where, like, I fucked up. And it takes a lot of sort of mental energy to take a moment when someone has called you out on your shit and be like, okay, actually, like, this is what I, I intended to say. And, like, does my intention matter in this case? And, like, 99% of the time, your intention does not matter. And it's your impact that matters. And mm-hmm. how you affected this person or this group of people, or whatever, like, that, um, the impact that you have had doesn't get erased because you have also been traumatized, or you didn't mean for it to come off that way, or you just didn't know. Like, everyone has blind spots, and that's fine. But you have to be aware of your blind spots. I think that's really important. Like, you can't really go through, you can't drive without knowing where your blind spots are. You know, like, yeah. Just to, like, be functioning. I can't drive, period. <laughs> okay, well, that's, like, another... That's something else. <laughs> but to, like, function in the society, you can't just, like, be, like, I don't know that thing, but I'm not even going to bother to, like, know that I don't know that thing. Like, there's something about being so, like, w- you know, willingly oblivious to things that just doesn't... I don't think it works anymore. Yeah. I know it's a lot more work that we have to do for each other, and, like, n- no one wants to be walking on eggshells all the time, but, like, 
you kind of have to do a little bit of that work. Yeah. I don't think you can just, you know, put your blinders up and forget about it. There are um, great resources. I feel like I've read some amazing essays in the past couple of years about how, how to apologize, mm. like some basic ass shit. Um, but they're really like amazing, thoughtful essays. We'll like tweet them or put them in the episode notes or something. So um, y'all can read them and, and tell us what you think. But I think um, it's not, it's not a natural sort of, uh, I guess I'll just say this apologizing correctly and like really trying to undo any potential harm that you might have done is a really really hard thing to do and a lot of people don't know how to do that and we're all still learning and that's fine but like it's just it feels like necessary reading to me because all of us fuck up and we should know it's how to like deal with the consequences I think it's like learning how to write a thank you note it's like you have to learn how to apologize to learn how to write a thank you note yeah. basic human skills for being an adult um, but I think I really want to definitely like ask some important questions about representation before we're done with this one what does good representation look like and two how do we as maybe as fans as purveyors of culture as consumers like how do we like how do we fan ethically how do we not tokenize stan ethically right is that possible this okay. is like a dissertation. Well, <laughs> I'm sure someone has already written this someone should write this yeah um and send it to us we can put it in the notes um but so i think like, what does good representation look like to you? Um, Who is your ideal celebrity? Build your ideal celebrity. Oh, God. I, I really can't think of anyone right now. Oh, I guess I'm supposed to build the person. I mean, I think that, like, good representation for me specifically, given sort of all my existing identities, is just someone who doesn't even necessarily, like, they don't need to meet, like, my little checklist of, like, oh, I am, you know, like... Indian and I grew up in California and I live in New York and I'm queer and I'm cis and I'm this and like they don't have to to like meet all of those requirements to to be um, really important and like influential people I think it's just like if you have a platform use your platform to do good shit this is so basic but like if you have a platform you know amplify voices amplify like people who look like you but also people who don't Um, be nice be willing to learn for me it's like be willing to learn because, like, we have people like Gina Rodriguez, for example, who, like, is doing amazing work, who's doing really, really fun stuff and is, like, you know, putting Latinx people out there in a really positive way, putting them in the mainstream. But then also she has big blind spots where, like, mm-hmm. she doesn't understand her own anti-blackness and she doesn't know how to apologize for it. And she feels like she has to center her own feelings at being called anti-black versus, like, learning how to not be anti-black. Yeah, and I think, like, it's really possible, like... Is it possible to, like, ethically stand someone? I think you just... Standing doesn't have to be, like, I am behind this person no matter what, no matter what they do. Like, I think part of... In the same way that, like, part of being a good friend and a good partner is, like, calling people on their shit sometimes, you know? And, like, reining people in or, like, letting them know where they could do better and be better. Like, that's what I want in my life like that's what I want my friends and my people to do for me which is like tell me when I'm doing dumb shit like friends don't let friends pull racist nonsense I think this kind of happened with like the whole MIA thing where like you know she said anti-black things and she was acting like a rape apologist when it came to Julian Assange and we kind of we made allowances for her or we canceled her or we know we we chose very like hardline stances either to support her or and ignore what she did or to like never support her again and, like, I say this because, like, I mean, at Kajal, we have kind of a policy of not supporting rapists, abusers, and rape apologists. Uh, so, like, we don't policy. report on MIA. We don't report on Aziz Ansari, that kind of stuff. But, like, 
I think they're important to the conversation of representation. That's why I'm bringing them up here. Like, Aziz Ansari, for example, like, it's not enough that he is, you know, Tamil American, that he's Muslim, that he's in these mainstream spaces, that he's building these platforms, if he's going to hurt people, right? Like, that, that's important to, like, have that distinction. And, like, I think when it comes to, like, like being, an, like, an ethical, you know, to, to be someone's fan or to, like, celebrate somebody ethically, I think it's important to know these things and to know that when somebody hurts somebody else, even if it's unintentional, Though, you know, in the Zealand Sari case, it's like a whole clusterfuck. A whole mess, yeah. Um, that should somehow be, like, a part of your, you know, your rubric for, for deciding whether you support somebody. Like, I think, for me, that's what it is. Like, when somebody hurts somebody else or when someone dismisses other people or whatever it is, like, for me, it's hard to, like, to, to think of them positively again. Well, because that, it, that influences their work, right? Right. Like, this is, like, you can't separate the art from the artist. Like, that obviously is a whole conversation in and of itself but like when people are doing harmful shit there's no way that doesn't bleed into their work right and it's I think it's possible for us to hold space and say like hey this movie or this TV show or this book or this whatever was really influential for me and helped me me feel like I could do this as well and also say like but I want to do it better but like I saw these issues and like I don't want to repeat the same mistakes um I think there's also, like, a fear sometimes, um, especially with people who are still, like, vying for representation that, like, well, if we um, cancel, like, XYZ, then there's just going to be nobody. Like, we have so few people out there um, that, like, if they, if we're going to take such a hard line when they, like, rape somebody, then what are we going to do for the, you know, and it's, like, I think (laughs) we're going to be fine without the rapist. Like, it is okay. Right, right. (laughs) You know, and it's such a... um, Again, cut the fat. We don't need them. They're holding us back. (laughs) It's just not, it's not true that there are not other people out there. You just are not looking hard enough. Yeah, there are non-rapists out there to support. There's many of us. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I think we've said all that can be said. Well, there's probably a lot more to be said (laughs) about representation for sure. But I think for now, this is like a good place to kind of to leave it, to think about it longer. Maybe we'll bring it up again in the future. Yeah, I'm sure our views are going to change on it, too. I think that's just how it works, you know? Yeah. Um, I think I'll just say, like, I don't really have any heroes <laughs> anymore. Like, and I think it's kind of sometimes important to maybe just not, you know, to kill your darlings a little bit and just, yeah. like, be done and not pin all your hopes on people. I, I think I still have heroes. None of them are cis men. I saw a tweet the other day that was like, like men are unreliable as fuck like why would it why is it anyway you know it still like shocks me when people are like openly standing like cis dude actors like have you not have you just been living under a rock only, for like two years we're like, only allowed to love keanu reeves and mr rogers that's it i don't know about keanu reeves but i'll take mr rogers <laughs> <laughs> okay anyway i think it's in time to move on to the next segment yeah so we have this segment on the podcast called no nuzz or butt and it's um it's basically where we get to share our takes on all the bad takes or just generally talk about something that's getting under our skin or you know share really bad tweets that we've been seeing. Yes. Or bad tweets that are in our drafts that we're too scared to tweet. That's fine. Sure. <laughs> sure. Stuff that like yeah, just to be a little bit unapologetic. I like to say constructively petty. Um but yeah, uh, do you have anything this week that you want to share? I know I have stuff, so. Okay. My thing is, this happened, this came out this afternoon, and I've been thinking about it nonstop ever since. Um, it is this Kickstarter called Love Sync, or for a product that's called Love Sync. And the whole idea is like, um, <laughs> there are two, it's like two buttons, they look like little, like, 
echo dots or whatever, like these two buttons. And the whole idea is like, if you want to have sex with your partner and you're horny, you tap your button and then it's, it's kind of like a Tinder matching system where like you only know if like the other person has also tapped their button and then both of your buttons are lighting up. This like sounds like it's like some weird like euphemism for body parts, but yeah. it's not. You, I look really incredulous right yeah, now. She's you can't see it. <laughs> um, so then the, oh, the whole idea is like if both of you have tapped these buttons in, in a certain time span, right? Like let's say like three hours then like you're both down to fuck and so you can fuck each other. As if consenting is that clear cut. It's, well, and also like... I'm sorry. Do straight people not know how to talk to each other? Like, <laughs> what the fuck is up with this? Like, it was so funny to me. Like, it was. It started by this like hetero couple. Obviously. Well, I shouldn't say they're a hetero couple. They. A cis man and a cis woman. Well, we don't even know that. Oh, right? okay. But well, listen, it it. I'm just gonna say that it feels very like heavily marketed towards hetero like cis hetero couples. Is it okay. hetero people in the ad? Yes. Okay. Well, there you go. Totally. Yeah, and so it's then like you know this guy is like is. pumping his fist, you know, because like I guess now he knows that his partner, like his girlfriend, wants to fuck, which like you could have asked her that. <laughs> I just don't understand. It's so funny to me. I saw this Kickstarter like last I checked, there were like thirty people who backed it, and I just really want to say, I guess since we're supposed to be constructively petty, my like constructive thing to say here is that couples therapy is a thing that exists, <laughs> communication is a thing that exists, and it's like free. Therapy is not free. The healthcare system in this country is fucked. Hopefully you can find some like couples therapy resources that don't cost a fuck ton of money. But communication, you can do that shit. Google it. Right. So no nuzzer, but hetero people need to talk to each other. Yes. They don't need <laughs> fancy toys <laughs> to do so. Okay. My thing is that this week I saw, I don't even know if the good, I'm not like sponsored by the, the good literary agency of the UK of good immigrant fame, but I had to say there was a tweet this week that just like had my heckles up because I just did not understand where it was coming from. But this um, white presenting, female presenting person on Twitter who identifies as vegan tweeted at the good literary agency, which if you don't know is they've tasked themselves with publishing more voices from the margins, like people who don't get representation in literature or in literary circles, people of color, LGBTQ people, you get the gist. Yeah. And tweeted at them saying, hey, vegans are effectively saying, vegans are a minority, when is it our turn in literature? And, you oh know. Oh my God. The, the agency, bless <gasps> them, you know, kind of humor, not humored her, but like engaged with her and said like, you know, like, we're willing to hear you out. Like, what do you mean? And she was just like, you know, I just sort of feel like vegans, like, you know, we're discriminated against and we kind of, we need our moment, you know, in the sun. And I'm going to say this as a South Asian vegan. No, we don't. Like, that's not, <laughs> that's not where it's headed yet. Like, maybe in like 50, 100 years time when we've solved racism and we've solved sexism, we've solved, you know, queerphobia, you know, homophobia, transphobia, all of that. When we solved all those things, we can tackle anti-vegan hate. Like the vegans are not a protected class, you guys. I'm sorry. I feel like this is like an awful place to start this. But like, I just feel like we're gonna no, get like completely like run over in the comments. But like, no nuzzer. But vegans are not a protected class. Yeah. Again, saying this as a vegan, this is not something that I need right now. This is not something that we need right now. What we need is more cheese options that are not diet. <laughs> we need more non-soy options. We need something that's not oat milk because it tastes like porridge. 
Okay, with that hot take, um, should we talk about like happier, more positive things? Right, so the like, next segment. Just like lighten up a little. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I'm here for it. What do you have planned for this week? What are you looking forward to? How are you making your life better? Yeah, that, that's like a heavy topic. I think I mentioned before that I'm preparing for this new job, so a big part of this week is just getting to the gym, getting into my writing, and doing it, you know, consistently. That's, yeah. Those are my goals. I know it's Valentine's this week. And I have a partner that I need to, like, definitely not be neglecting. But this week is really about me and my regimens. That's, that's my goal this week. What about you? What are you doing to make your life better, easier, cleaner, faster? Um, God, well, I'm not going to dinner on Valentine's Day. Ooh. Which um, my partner and I, um, like, she, she really loves, like, restaurants. And she really loves going out. And, like, going out on Valentine's Day is one of those things that I think is just, like, the worst. I do think it's great for people watching, but like just in general, prefix menus, you have to make reservations like God knows how far in advance. Like I'm not a planner. I can't do that. Um, so we're going to stay home and just like do quiet shit and like cook at home. And, you know, I'm going to try to stay off Twitter. And I say this like every week, um, <laughs> but just, you know, try to like live our best lives and not think about the Internet and not think about the news until we record this podcast again. <laughs> sounds good. That sounds good. That sounds uh, ambitious. It is. We'll see how it goes. We will tell you next time. Um, this episode of the podcast is presented by Cultural Magazine in partnership with Listening Party. You can follow the crew on Instagram at Listening Party Presents and at Canal Street Market. And you can follow Cultural at at Cultural Mag on wherever it is that you get Instagram, your social media. Twitter, Facebook, I'm Tumblr. Tumblr, yes, TBT. I'm your host, Anushka Patil. And I'm Nadia. Our pr producer is Aziz Adib. Music provided by Serene Patel. Until next time, keep an eye out for those evil eyes. Mm -hmm.